Anything combat with Johnny K. Well, it's anything combat though. Welcome back, combatants, to the Anything Combat Show, where we discuss everything mixed martial arts. I'm your host, Johnny K, and today we're joined by an underrated fighter. He's got a crazy skill set. He's in the welterweight division of the UFC. Just came off a really close fight with JDM. Please welcome Basil Javez. How are you doing today? Good, really good. How are you, Johnny? Good. My first question for you is that I looked at Tapology and it said that you were ranked 77th best in the world at welterweight. In my opinion, I think this is I think this is an insult. Do you agree with this ranking or do you think you should be higher? Yeah, I don't uh, really think Tapology is a great website. Uh, half of their stuff is, is not accurate. Uh, <laughs> so I, I'm going to say that I don't agree with it whatsoever, but... That's fine. I'm all about proving myself. I'm all about proving, you know, I, where I belong. And I think, obviously, I did that in the JDM fight. I've done that with the past few fights I've had. I've only been improving every fight, and I've shown that. So, yeah, I'm fine with take. You can say I'm the worst fighter in the world. I don't give a shit what they say. So, uh, in reality, like, I'm going to go out there and prove that I'm a good fighter. And I'm going to prove that uh, I deserve to be at the top level, which is where I'm at now. And, you know, just build my name and build my legacy with the UFC. What were the underlying reasons behind your really bad weight cut in your UFC debut? Uh, I mean, I took the fight on three days' notice. I got the call on uh, Monday night, and then I ended up fighting on, fr- on Saturday, obviously, weighing in on Friday morning. So 30 pounds in three days, and I wasn't in even I wasn't even in fight camp. Um, and a lot of people know, people around me know, I had a couple of injuries that I had already going into the fight. And... Um, <clears throat> they definitely like hindered me from being able to be 100% in, in training for the fight. Well, training in general and then taking the fight on three days notice. But, yeah, I mean, there's, there was a couple things that led to the bad weight cut. But we don't really have that opportunity to say, no, nah, it's not – everything's not perfect. I'm not going to take it. Like, you know, when, the, when they call and, and it's, it's something you dreamt of your whole life, you just say yes and you just go, go to work and you get the job done. You try and get the job done. So – I did it, and what's crazy is I would I think I had missed weight on the first try, um, and the only reason I missed weight on the first try was because I was so weight cut brained that I didn't take a pee. And I had I had to take a piss before the weigh-ins, and I just forgot I had to pee, and so I ended up actually like so I, I weighed in, I missed weight technically, and then I went and saw doctors, and they were like, "Yeah, you're good to cut the rest." Sorry, my dog is loud here. Can you hear that a lot? I got the call on, on Monday night and yeah, I cut 30 pounds in three days and it's not ideal, but it's not up to me. It's not really a choice I, I had to make. Oh, give me more time, push it back a week, do this, do that. You know, my dream came knocking and I said yes. So like most fighters would, and uh, that was not my best performance, but it feels good to know that like, you know, on three days notice with the worst weight cut of my life that I still am not, I'm still not knockoutable. <laughs> like JDM hit me with the kitchen sink. And uh, I ate that shit. So I'm definitely excited to get back out there with a proper camp and a proper weight cut. I think it makes all the difference. And fighters know that. I think fight fans don't really know how much the weight cut affects the, what you see uh, you know, in the, in the cage. It really affects the final product a lot. And so if you have a bad weight cut, obviously those guys don't even make it to fight night. They have to pull out or the doctors don't even approve them. But, yeah, I mean, how bad your weight cut is and how good a shape you are going into the weight cut – definitely affects, you know, how you're going to perform in the cage. And so given the circumstances I was at, I think I did pretty damn good. Give me a fight camp, it's a whole different story. So people were talking shit and saying this and that, and, and he had two weight cuts. And, but, man, he had a fight camp for a guy that was a similar style to what he got in the cage. 
He had a full fight camp for it, regardless of who showed up. He had a full fight camp. I didn't have a full fight camp for that. I had <laughs> basically just chilling on my couch and hanging out with my dog, and, and I get called. You know, I wasn't really – I was in shape, but I wasn't in fight shape. There's a big difference between those two. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that makes all the difference, and I'm excited to go out there with, with proper preparation. You know, I earned my spot with my last fight, so I'm going to go out there and continue to prove it again in every single fight. You definitely did. Have you had a similar weight cut problem like that before in your career? And will something like this ever happen again in your future UFC fights? No, I don't think so. Good question. No, I don't feel like uh, this would ever happen again. I mean, I'm never going to have to cut. Unless they called me and said you're fighting for the title. Um, <laughs> like, in reality, uh, I'm not going to be in the point I was at where my shape, my, my fight cardio, my shape was. I'm not going to be going into a fight again at that point same type of level not at all i mean i wasn't in fight camp shape i was just in you know whatever shape training um i had injuries already and then on top of all that you know three days notice like is it really enough time to cut 30 pounds so normally i'm like a lot less weight i walk into the fight camp and the weight cut process about 10 pounds later than i walked in at, and that made all the difference that makes all the difference really so yeah no i think it's not gonna happen again <laughs> I learned how to cut weight, and I think I showed, like, I'm fine with people looking at my last fight and being like, oh, you know, just look at the fight. And they don't understand everything I went into. I'm like, that's fine. Look at that. I don't give a shit. Because to me, like, I had a proper weight cut in the Evan Cuts fight, and, you know, I had a walk-off KO. So, in my opinion, with a proper weight cut, I've I figured out the system, and I'm only getting better at figuring out the system when, in terms of cutting the weight, keeping my weight low, my cardio, my training. Every fight has gotten better. You can watch every one of my fights and you can see that progression. And so that's only going to continue to happen. I'm only going to continue to progress. I'm never looking to just settle and enjoy the limelight. Like, I got, I'm more, I have more motivation now than I did before I got signed. Like, it feels great to go out there and get a bonus and, and fight with the top 15 guy in the world, Jack, who I think is going to be a title contender soon. But I also see myself as, as the same level as that guy, to be honest. And, you know, I don't know many other fighters that are going to come in on three days' notice. And, be able to handle that, be able to do what I did, cut the weight that I cut, show up and put a performance like I put on and also be able to eat, eat those strikes that, that I ate and not get knocked out. I mean, everybody that he's fought couldn't even do that except for obviously Kevin Holland this past Saturday. So in my opinion, no, I think uh, it's not going to happen again and I'm going to continue to prove that, you know, that was that was just the worst you saw me in my opinion. In my opinion, I think you have exceptional skills. I see you as a top 15 welterweight already. I think you're really good. Um, I want to ask you, with, all good, with, with those skills, and also, by the way, that's just from a purely just analytical, looking at your skills compared to the um, people in the division. Like, I think you're just a bad matchup for the majority of, um, of them in general. But, yeah, with those skills... Did you think that you should have been in the UFC before this short notice announcement? Because I think you should have been in there maybe a year or two years beforehand. Yeah, I agree. I think I should have been there sooner. Um, you know, the, the farm system we have for MMA is not the cleanest. And that's just the way it is. Like, things are slowly changing and slowly getting better. Um, the whole UFC fight pass era of what it is now versus what it used to be is a whole, totally different game. It's game changer, I think, because, like, Right now, what UFC Fight Pass offers is a platform for fighters to really have a true farm system and go right to the UFC or get signed or have their footage and everything able to be accessed, you know? So 
yeah, I, I definitely think I should have been in the UFC sooner, but man, you can't change can't change the past. And uh, if I do it all over again, yeah, I would hope to be in there sooner, but I wouldn't change anything about how it happened. You know, come in there and shock the world and, and put myself on the map overnight. You know, I'm definitely uh, happy about that. But yeah, a year ago would have been help, helpful, more helpful on bills. <laughs> and a year ago would have been more helpful with everything. But, you know, I lost. So actually, look, I'm going to say I should have been in the UFC uh, before the cuts fight that I fought him the first time, I fought cuts again, or I fought cuts the first time. I mean, sorry, I fought, defended the title, and I lost by split decision. I didn't fight a smart fight, and that was a setback. In the sport that we're in, it like you lose and you have setbacks. Like it's not as easy as oh next season. No, that that sets you back for a year or two. You can't really get you know to you can't achieve your goals and your dreams really because of that one loss. And really, I think you see with guys persevere. You really see the perseverance on going through losses, going through these setbacks and that are supposed to like break you and make you say, yo, pick a different career path, go get a job. And those guys that persevere through and make it to the UFC, make it to the next level, man, those guys have unbreakable will. I feel like I'm one of those guys. I think I showed that so far and I'm excited to just continue to put out good fights and, and show why, yo, know, people are saying this dude should have been here a while ago for a reason, you know? Yeah. Well, de definitely, definitely. Following the conclusion of the JDM fight, did you genuinely believe that you had won the fight? Because I was in doubt of who won the fight. I didn't know who did, who actually did. I think I won the fight. I know people are saying uh, damage was control. I mean, the damage wasn't that that far superior in the uh, striking department or even anywhere where he did it. It was, I would say, a lot closer than – you can watch the fight again. It was a lot closer than people put it out to say. And then on top of that, I mean, getting putting on your – put on your back and – being on bottom with with top person having control, that I think uh, is far superior to landing a little bit more damage or a little bit more strikes. And in reality, the only time he really landed and did good was the final round because I was gassed, obviously. Um, and it was a lot more him and me just taking damage or taking strikes. But I mean, it wasn't a, it wasn't a ten eight in my opinion in that round either because I ended up on top at points. So like. Really, like, you can't say either round was 10-8. I think I won the first two rounds 10-9. But, look, we could talk about what if, what if, you know, what if my aunt had balls, she'd be my uncle. I always say that. Like, it, in reality, nothing changed. It doesn't – me talking talk about it until I'm blue in the face. I would love the rematch with a proper camp, and I believe I could beat – I believe I could beat either guy that fought this weekend. I think they're both great fighters. I was already fans of these guys before I got in the UFC. Um, but I still think I could beat them. That's just, like – that's my mentality, and that's the way it should be. Otherwise, I'm in the wrong organization. I'm in the wrong field. So, like, I don't know. For me, yeah, I'd, I'd love to uh, get the rematch. I think I won. I could see how he won. I've already said this before, too. I could see how the judges obviously gave it to him. It wasn't, like, a insane shocker. I thought I definitely did enough to win. But regardless, like, okay, you think I won or lost because of this, and you think he won or lost because of that. It doesn't change what ha happened and is on paper and is official. So, that's all I give a shit about, what's official. So I'm not going to sit here and talk about what ifs. I'm going to talk about, you know, when I get back to a proper camp and when I fight again, however soon that is, if it's by the end of the year, beginning of the next year, it's going to be a better performance than I put on the first time. And just expect that every single time, like, I'm trying to put on a performance, performance bonus fight, you know? That's my opinion. Based on my observations of the JDM fight, the first thing that came to mind was the fact that you were so physically stronger than these guys at welterweight. So can you give us an insight into your weightlifting capabilities? 
<laughs> um, I'm not going to say what I put up, but I think I'm pretty strong. I think if uh, <laughs> we were doing NFL Combine stuff, I'd fit right in with those guys. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think I'm strong for the weight class, and I think I'm strong for – even if I went up to 85, I feel like I'd be strong for that weight class because I just put the weight on and put the strength on. But uh, man, being Egyptian, bro, <laughs> us Egyptians are, are we have good frames and we have good hips. We're strong, uh, we're built strong. I don't know how to describe. We're bred strong. <laughs> so like, in my opinion, uh, I think I blame it on my. I think my hips and my strength become my natural ability like that. I'm a hard worker, but naturally I'm a bit stronger. I think than most guys I train with in general, like in the weight room. And uh, I'm going to say that's because I'm Egyptian and I blame my parents. <laughs> when did your family come from Syria and Egypt to America? My mother and my father came, I don't know the exact age, um, so apologize about that. But they did meet in America. At the time, my mom was um, an English Arabic literature professor at uh, Villanova University in, in Pennsylvania. And my father was a mechanical engineer from University of Cairo. Um, and they, when they met, they met through a friend in America through the mosque and they ended up hitting it off. And my mom, my mom left being a professor to raise kids in the house. And my dad, uh, decided to open up pizza shop instead of doing anything with mechanical engineering. <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a product of, uh, immigrants that decided to do a pizza shop my whole life. So actually my brother ended up following, he has a pizza shop now too. So <laughs> how many siblings do you have? I have one older brother. Do you does is there any other members of your family that have entered combat sports that have inspired you, or are you the only one? No, actually, the reason I started training was because of my cousins. They were blue belts at the time um, at Balance Studios in Philadelphia under Ricardo and Phil McLaris. They were telling me to get into it. I was getting a lot of fights, getting a lot of trouble, and uh, you know, I just said, "Screw it, why not?" The timing worked out. And then I started training with my cousins and, you know, I ended up catching up to them. And right now me and my one cousin are, I have a bunch, a bunch of cousins that actually train. Uh, my one cousin's a brown belt uh, that we actually got in, we got him into training after we, uh, we had already started. So my two cousins already started, got me in, then we got another cousin in. And then we have a bunch of other like younger cousins that are like in high school that are training and stuff. So um, a big part of my family trains now. But me and my one cousin, Rami, he's a first degree black belt. And I'm a first degree black belt. We both got our every belt at the same time together. So it's pretty awesome. Um, and then my one cousin, I have a cousin named Basil as well. Same name, different spelling a little bit. <laughs> but he's a brown belt. And uh, he's a great instructor down in uh, Boca in Florida, Boca Raton. Uh, he owns a Gracie Academy down there. I have another cousin who's a black belt. So we just, yeah, you know, it's uh, it runs in the family now. Me and my cousins are like brothers, uh, most of them. <laughs> and so, you know, to us, it's just, it's great, man. A lot of my family trains and it's something I'm super proud of. And I'm going to continue to, you know, build that generational jiu-jitsu. <laughs> Did um, your cousin train with Coach Hordinski as well? No. So actually, uh, I'm from Philadelphia. Originally, I'm born and raised in Philadelphia. Uh, I trained under Ricardo and Phil McLaris. I'm a black first degree black belt under uh, Ricardo McLaris at Balance Studios, and that's where I started. Um, I did. I started my striking with Andy Russell, as well. And so I moved out here about two years ago, a little over two years ago, and uh, just kind of found the right coaches that vibe with me. You know, there's a lot of great gyms and a lot of great coaches out here in Colorado and Denver area. So I just found the ones that that fit better with me. And you know, when I moved here, just just ended up being the best fit for me and the best move for me for my career so yeah i'm originally from philly 
and my cousins are all from Philly, but then actually, so a lot of us branched out just recently. Like a couple, a couple of them went to Florida. I went out to here in Denver, and then I got cousins overseas as well. So Egypt and Syria, and in, in Greece, in Germany. I mean, with the war in Syria, a lot of migration happened. So I got family all over right now. <laughs> That's so interesting. My grandfather was an, a Greek, but he was in Egypt in Alexandria. So oh, you brought up Greek. You brought up Greece just then. My family is Greek. So what 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 did you say about uh, Greece? I didn't catch that. Oh, that's awesome, my man. Okay, so uh, my one cousin, he is a fifth degree, I think. And he's going to be mad at me if I get it wrong, but I think he's a fifth degree uh, black belt in Shotokan karate, and uh, he's actually our highest person in the family, highest rank in the per in the family with uh, any kind of martial art. But uh, he used to do government security de detail in Syria. And then when the war happened, he kind of had a falling out, like a bit of my family did. And then he ended up leaving and migrating towards to Greece. And so now he has a school in Greece. In, in uh, Athens? No. Man, I'm bad right now. I, gotta, I haven't talked to him in a little bit. I'm trying to think what part of Greece he's in. I haven't been to visit him yet. But he's in Greece and he has a school out there and, uh, you know, has a kid and living his life. You know, he's doing his thing. But, um, yeah, so, so that's... That's the family I have in Greece, just him. <laughs> yeah. What part of Greece are you from? From Limnos and Samos. No one's ever asked me that. What's, what, what does it say again? Limnos, Limnos and Samos. Uh, Limnos is known Limnos for like... Samos. Limnos and Samos. They're both islands. So I'm an islander. I'm not a mainlander. Yeah, my man. That's what I want to be. I wanna, my dream is to retire to an island and teach jiu-jitsu there. And just, just look at tropics <laughs> all day. That's all I want to be around. <laughs> have you ever gone holiday there? I haven't been to Egypt and Syria since I was a kid, since I was like 10 years old. So I'm due. I'm due 21 years. I'm due for a trip. I'm actually hoping to go to Egypt this uh, winter around some time frame. I want to fight again first. I want to get a win in the UFC, um, hopefully another bonus. And then, uh, you know, I want to go visit family and friends in Egypt that I haven't seen in, in 21 years. So, but yeah, last time I went was a while ago, for sure. It's been a minute. And I actually have family in Alexandria. So I have family in Cairo, Alexandria. And then, you know, a little bit spread out in the Middle East, like I said. Dude, are we related? Did you uh, sleep with my cousin? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're a sick cunt. You know that? <laughs> <laughs> there you have it. There you have it. What a well, fucking yeah, legend. Where did you That's learn that one? Where did uh, you learn that? Oh, I learned that from... Okay, hold on. I got I got um Where did I learn that from? Give me a second. I got to think about it now. Who did I learn that from? That's all right. Take your time. Oh, I know where I learned it from. Originally, okay, so basically, uh, Ray, you know Rob McCullough? He fights for uh, PFL. He was the PFL yep. uh, champion recently, like heavyweight champion. So me and him, go to this, we're going to the same PT, and uh, we were talking. I think it was not him. It was his, okay, so it wasn't him. It was his friend that he was visiting with him. And, uh, you know, he's basically teaching me. He's not from, I'm an idiot, Tasmania. Is that where he's from? Tasma Tasmania is like the bottom right of Australia, yes. Yes, that's where he's from. Okay, sorry, Tasmania. And so um, we were talking, and then they just like started teaching me lingo, and then like uh, they're like, yeah, yeah. They're like, I think one of them called me a cunt, and I was like, 
oh, what the fuck? And I was like, no, it's a compliment. And I'm like, well, it's a compliment? And I'm like, yeah. And actually what you say is you're a sick cunt. It means it's a good thing. And I'm like, all right. And I learned it there. And then I ended up hearing it somewhere else. And I was like, okay, it's, a, it's, it's in my brain now. So every time I hear somebody from Australia or New Zealand, I'm like, yeah, you're a sick cunt. <laughs> That's hilarious, Basil. That's hilarious. I'll tell you something about Tasmania. So that used to be called Van Diemen's Land, and they brought all the criminals there from from what? Britain. So the whole little island in Tasmania, that little triangle is just one big prison because they all had just slave labor. So so the most fucked up Australians are from Tasmania. Oh shit. Okay. It makes sense he's a fighter. I think he's a nice guy though. I like Rob Wilkerson. He's a nice guy for <laughs> sure. But he you know, I'd say he's a sick cup. But <laughs> that's pretty crazy. I didn't know that. So are a lot of people that are fighters from that area or just ironically he happens to be a fighter from that area? Ironically, um, yes, but usually the fighters are uh, Sydney-based. Most fighters come from Sydney. That was like Rob, um, um, Jack Jenkins from Melbourne, and okay. Volkanovski was Sydney. Volkanovski was Sydney. As well. All right, so yeah. most come from the big city. I get that. All right. Yeah. yeah. I want to ask you, you spoke about the NFL Combine. Have you ever done any American football? Yeah, I played American football uh, as a kid, actually, my whole life growing up. Uh, my dream was to be a pro football player. Uh, it didn't work out at one point, obviously, but and then I wanted to be a pro athlete, so it worked out that I'm a pro fighter. But, yeah, I played football my whole life growing up. I used to run a 4.6540 freshman year of high school. I used to be on, we had this thing called the Ironman wall, um, and it's like, what, total of your bench, your squat, and your power clean. And I think I was at like 850. 850 total for all three. So, pounds? Yeah, 850 pounds, yes. 850 pounds. Jesus, that's a lot of weight, man. That's good weight, man. <laughs> I'm stronger now. If I, you know, I played football now, I'd be good. But, you know, it didn't work out. I'm a fighter. I, I'm, I'm better at that. I could choke people out. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I, I, I'm used to the football workouts and stuff, and you know, I love playing football. If my friends are hitting me up and we're playing pickup, you know, I'll jump in there. I played like flag football growing up and, and even recently too. So, what's your position? I grew up at halfback and safety, and then actually my height when I played in high school, I ended up transferring going to uh, fullback and D tackle. D tackle. You're like, what? And I most people are like, what? But I was really explosive off the line. So, like, you know, I break right through these offensive linemen and I'll get the sack like that. Yeah, so. <laughs> I still love it to this day. You put me on a flag football field and I'm running D-tackle, I'll get, I'll get some sacks. <laughs> My friend, when I was younger, nobody knew about NFL in Australia. And he told me, you need to go for a team named the Philadelphia Eagles. This was like 2013. And since yeah. then, I've gone, I've gone for the Eagles. I tell everyone I go for the Eagles, even though I don't even watch NFL. So what's your team? Are you an Eagles supporter? Yeah, man. I'm an Eagle for Philadelphia, baby. You know, I got to represent. I'm surprised I'm not wearing my hat right now, but yeah, I mean, I got Eagles stuff in my in my spot right now, in my house where I'm at. But yeah, I'm a huge Eagles fan. I rep Philly. It's, usually, I'd be wearing even a Philly shirt right now, but I'm wearing this because I got to represent my merch. But I'm always wearing Philly shit in interviews, and I got half the companies on my sponsorship list are from Philly. Oh, good man. <laughs> yeah, I'm hometown. How'd you, guy how'd you get so many? How'd you get so many sponsors? What the fuck? Hey man, you gotta market yourself. You gotta show that you're uh, that you're worth it, and uh, you gotta treat sponsors right. Note to so I'm gonna say uh, PSA to fighters: stop being divas and stop acting like sponsors owe us. 
sponsors do us a favor and we owe them more. So I thank my sponsors, all my sponsors. My Lovely. Cool. I have this one here, here, here too. I wanted to pull it out. <laughs> I just got it from millions. Millions.co is where I have my merch. Yeah, I actually, I, I've heard of heaps of people that do millions. That's a good company. Yeah, great company, man. They're really good people. You know, uh, I enjoy working with them big time. And uh, I'm still fighting with them on matching my donations. But one thing I'm doing with the shirts, this is the other design. Well, my That's a cool buttons. one. So what I'm doing with all the shirts is 100% of my the proceeds is why I get sponsors as well. So 100% of the profits from my merch, I'm not taking a single dime. I'm donating it to breast cancer. So my goal is to find families that are going through breast cancer, that have it, that are having trouble with bills. And I've done it before. Actually, I've done it several times before. But now I think it's a little different with the big platform. But, uh, you know, trying to sell and, and raise money, it should be easier, but it's still tough. So trying to raise money and then basically I try and find – uh, families that are directly affected by breast cancer and, and basically donate a check directly to them. So no middleman, no no uh, big company and let it let it trickle down. You know, I want to directly donate to people that are going through it. And uh, that's what I've done before. It's, I think, made a huge difference and helped them. You know, in my opinion, like when someone has cancer or someone's sick, like, yeah, we can throw money at the at the at trying to find the cure. I and mean, in my opinion, maybe they already found the cure. And it's a you know a very profitable industry, the pharma industry. But um, I'm gonna treat it like okay, there is still no cure. So how can I help somebody the most that's going through it? Is you know help pay their bills, help take stress off their off their mind, and help them live the last few days they have without you know being miserable. So that's one thing I'm passionate about, and I'm gonna start doing. But these are all the sponsors right here. You know. More Homes Colorado. This, uh, I'll mention them. Dependable Solutions. Okay. Technicare. Mechanical. Sheath Underwear. Huda PHL. Yakitori. Japas and Karaoke Bar. My Fit Foods. Delco Steaks. Place of Peace. Blade and Badger Barbershop in Philadelphia. PA Pain and Rehab. All right. And JB. Where is it? Right here. Small one. It's hard to see, but JB Health Solutions. Health, health Associates. Congratulations, so, Basil. That's such a great cause. When did you start doing that? Um, so I had lost my uh, my mother to breast cancer in 2010. And so uh, it's something I think I've been passionate about. I've always been passionate about, like, trying to help and do right, good, like, better things for people or do things in some way to give back. And uh, it's just kind of fits the most. I started my first donation after I had just lost my mother and uh, my father was still alive at the time. But I actually so I lost him too to lung cancer in 2013. So at the time he was still alive, and you know something I talked to him about too, and something I felt like you know my mom would be doing as well. She'd be she'd be if she was in remission and a survivor, which she was at one point. She always would try and give back and help other people. You know that's the way she was. Like she wouldn't even look at her struggles; she'd look at struggles of other people first. So to me, um, it's just the way I can help out, and it's something I can do at this time that is not like gonna kill me, you know, make me go broke. Um, so, and I've done it before and, you know, I've lost money a bunch of times when I did it. Uh, the first time I did it was with actually, this is a cool story. So the first time I actually did my first ever breast cancer donation, I definitely, I donated way too much <laughs> to one person and I should like broke it up and gave it to more people, but it was like $1,500. I raised $750 and, uh, Dave Feldman actually. So he is the guy who runs, he's the owner of BKFC or one of the main owners who started actually, he started BKFC. Is he the guy in the suit with the Gucci belt? I think so. He's the guy that's always there that's trying to break up the fighting and, and be in the middle. And he's got yeah, like he's a, a cool dude. Face. 
He looks like he's in Goodfellas. He looks like a guy from Goodfellas, if that helps. Yeah, he's a cool dude. <laughs> yeah, he's a good dude. He's a good dude. So uh, he's actually the first guy I ever fought for. He used to have an amateur MMA company, amateur and pro, called XFE. And a lot of guys that fight in the UFC now actually started there, ironically. Extreme Fighting Events, I think it was, I think. Yeah, I see that. I see that on everyone's shirt, dog. Yeah, so, I mean, me, Sean Brady, Bill Algio, uh, there's a bunch of guys. You can keep going. The list goes on. There's guys I'm not thinking of right now that they're going to be like, what the fuck? But uh, a lot of guys started in that promotion. He was a a, a good promoter out here before he switched over to BKFC and sold. I think he sold his company to another local promotion and did a shift. Um, But so he's actually the first guy that helped me with the start the donation and make it possible. Um, He matched me on whatever I raised, and we did it in the cage post-fight. And uh, it was awesome, man. That was the first one I did when I was an amateur. So and I, since then, I've done it periodically. And so, you know, now is a big stage. I want to hopefully just make it a thing and do it more consistently, raise more money, make it every single year, every single year several times a year, if possible. <laughs> Would you wear the pink shorts to the cage? Fuck yeah, I'd wear, yeah, I'll wear pink shorts to the cage. I don't care. They're not going to let me wear pink shorts in the cage. Um, but yeah, I'd love to wear pink shorts in the cage. I don't care. I'm the I'm type of dude, I'll go out on a Speedo and knock somebody out. I don't care. <laughs> I'm comfortable with my body, baby. <laughs> who, who was the guy that did that in the UFC? Do you remember that? Pink? I know uh, Phil Davis. He wore that. Yeah, Mr. 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 Wonderful. Mr. Wonderful always would wear the pink shorts, but I'm talking about the guy with the Speedo. Is he? His breast yeah, so his is breast cancer. I'm pretty sure that what I've seen, uh, I think he maybe lost somebody or he has a reason why. It's breast cancer related why he would wear pink. Um, no, who wore a Speedo? No one wore a Speedo. Yeah, like there's, there's one game. guy, and Dana kicked him out of the UFC immediately. It, one, He had one fight. Oh, you know better than me, man. I, probably, okay, yeah, well, you send me it. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't see it. <laughs> All right, cool, cool. Yeah, I'm not paying attention to the guys in Speedos usually. So if I see something like that, I forget about it. <laughs> That's terrible, Basil. His name, uh, about it. <laughs> his name is Dennis Horman. He he got kicked out of the UFC. I think Dennis he got knocked Holman? out. I th- I think so. Yeah. I don't even know that name. There you go. I'm sorry. There you Dennis. have it. I have no idea who you are. <laughs> Probably has no idea who I am either. So I don't really care. But uh, I just no, saw the I just saw the photo. Uh, uh, my friend gave it to me. Uh, I was wearing blue speedos. Check it out. Uh, my, uh, but let's move on from that shit. I've got an actual question for you. Oh, yeah. So, Coach Wardinsky's team, what a beast! There's one guy in there named Caleb Crump that he's been saying is a really, really good uh, like jujitsu prospect and um, has like insane skills. So have you rolled with this individual? And if so, do you think that he can make it to the UFC later on in his career? Yeah, Caleb's a beast, man. Uh, he's one of my favorite training partners. He uh, he brings it every time. Um, he's a purple belt, but, you know, he rolls with black belts, competes against black belts, uh, world-class black belts. So he's, he's a high-level grappler. Um, I wish him – I want him, obviously, I want to see him in the UFC. I want to see all my training partners in the UFC, um, you know, winning – winning fights and building a record is part of it. Um, and so, you know, I, 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 I would like to see him in the UFC, so we'll see what happens. Um, and I have other teammates as well that will be there soon too. So, but it, it takes time, you know, I know that he just had a fight. Um, he almost won. I think he, I think he won, but you know, judges sometimes. Um, but you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens. I'd love to see him in the UFC. Like I'd like to see all my training partners in the UFC, but Aside from that, he's a great grappler. He's a really high-level grappler. Uh, you know, he, he competes with black belts, like I said. So there's not many purple belts doing that. <laughs> yeah. 
let's let's talk about let's talk about JDM versus Kevin Holland. Now, I personally thought that Kevin won that fight. What did you think of that fight? Did you think during the fight, yeah, I could beat both of these guys? I heard you say that earlier. Yeah, no, I do think I could beat both those guys, um, and I do uh, think that JDM won. My opinion, Kevin. So I think people are saying Kevin won. Well, I don't know because of the shit talk a little bit. Maybe that kind of persuades people, but I think most of his strikes landed on JDM's guard, not really clean. And when you look at the clean strikes, it's JDM. He control. He could had all that. He he had a takedown defense, and he also had the ring control. So in my opinion, based off those two, yeah, obviously Kevin threw more strikes, but he didn't land more strikes. Watching it, I watched it live, and I was watching thinking like. You know, this could go either way. In my opinion, I think I had a more decisive win over JDM than Kevin did recently. So, that's my opinion. <laughs> Have you? I'll tell you what, Sal Diamato likes JDM. Sal Diamato likes JDM. He always gives it to him. <laughs> gave it to him in my fight, gave it to him, and, uh, and he's been the deciding factor each time. <laughs> Do we need some new judges? I need to meet Sal D'Amato and see what's up, man. He's got an Italian name. We got to hit it all something. I got to bring him like a hoagie or something or a cheesesteak. I don't know. Sal, let's talk about it, man. I'm on your side, bro. Why, why don't you like me? What did I do to you? <laughs> That's terrible. Has the, has the UFC spoken to you about any news for an upcoming fight at all? Yeah, I mean, they've offered uh, just recently, actually. But I, I had surgery two weeks ago. Uh, how I am is I'm like, yeah, let's go. But my manager, my coaches, and my team is everyone like, okay, like, oh, you got to get back to training first, and then let's take a fight. So I want to fight. I was hoping to get right back in there before I realized I had a fractured wrist and a torn meniscus. And so I had to heal the wrist, heal the fracture, and a little sprain in my, in my ligament too in there. I had to heal that, and I had to get surgery on my knee. So things I don't have control over, and uh, that's really the only reason why I don't have a fight yet. So I'm back to training slowly. I mean, two weeks out from surgery, I had my first pad session today, and I've been going to strength conditioning still, so I'm not too far behind. Hoping to fight this year, if not January, hopefully. Cool, cool, cool. Let's talk about one of your main uh, sparring partners and training partners. I really like him. Let's talk about Justin Gaethje. What do you think about him? I think he's a great fighter, man. He's a great fighter, and uh, he's a great person as well. I think he's an even better person than he is a fighter. So, yeah. What are your training sessions like with them? Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, we don't train together like every single day. Um, that'd be great. But uh, no, we don't train every, with each other every single day. We spar. Uh, if we see each other at sparring, we'll definitely get rounds. Um, and then I'll go wrestle with them whenever they're doing the wrestling training. And, uh, you know, I'll see them around at other training sessions as well. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the training sessions are always hard. Justin brings it every time. He is the same way he's game in the cage. And you see that savage come out. Uh, he's a good training partner, but you can't just go in there and expect to have a lazy round. That doesn't exist So with him especially. So, yeah, it's, it's awesome, man. He's a great training partner to have. He's humbling going with him every time. He has really good striking, and he's a great fighter. Um, and he also always like will take time to show me something. If we're going through wrestling class, and you see something that he thinks I should do better, you know, I'll stop and make a, make a point to be like, yo, do this better, which I understand. Like I'm the same way. And I do appreciate that he's like that because that's going to help me do it better. And then it's going to help him defend it better because he's defending it, being attacked on him properly. So he's, me and him see eye to eye on that. I think, you know, like he, if he needs rounds, I'm a black belt. You know, I'll give him rounds rolling. Um, striking, I think he's a great boxer. I think he has great angles. So I always try and get rounds with him. 
you know, we feed off each other. But obviously, he's a legend, man. So I'm just grateful to be in the same room as him. Uh, what times I am and to train with him to feel, you know, what he's like, experience sparring him and wrestling with him and, uh, you know, pick his brain. Because I, this is something I realized being in the camp, people see the, the the fight and they see, okay, he's just a brawler. But in reality, the dude knows his shit with wrestling. He understands really good techniques. He has a high-level wrestling coach in Ben Charrington, who I think is a great coach as well. Um, and so, like, you know, he's, he's a G all around. He just goes out there and brawls in the cage, but he could do it. He could do it all for sure. And, uh, you know, it's great. I'm enjoying training with him for sure. <laughs> Can you give us some insight into those wrestling rounds? Because that's something that we don't get to see. We don't see him offensively wrestle in the cage. We see a lot of defensive, his, his takedown defense, but we don't yeah. see him implementing his grappling, even though I believe that was like his baseline martial art. Yeah, he's a really good wrestler. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> like, he can hold his own. He's not a bum um, in any means. And in, in grappling and in, in wrestling, I mean, he's just, he can, he can hit, he hits me with takedowns a lot. When we're just wrestling, we're just doing wrestling. He hit me with takedowns constantly. Like, we're just, it's no MMA, no striking, no jiu jitsu. Strictly the wrestling aspect, and he'll hit some clean takedowns on me at times, you know, where I'm like, fuck. <laughs> I'm like, that's humbling. I'm like, oh, I thought I, I thought I can. I think I'm the shit that day or I'm confident and he'll hit something on me and it's like wakes me up, you know? So, yeah, he's he's a really good wrestler. That's fine. People don't think he is. Let him think that. Whoever's thinking that, tell him keep thinking that. <laughs> you know? Has he yeah, given yeah, you... He's a great, I would say he's a great fighter, right? But what makes a great fighter is being good at all aspects. So, yeah. Definitely. Has he given you the hardest sparring round? Like, has he kicked the shit out of you before? My hardest rounds, yeah, I'd say with him when I spar Kamaru. Um, Kamaru was hard rounds. I know he's in Florida now, but when he was up here, he's giving me hard rounds. Uh, I'd say I sparred Sean Strickland a couple times. He come and visit. That's one of my favorite rounds because he's a fucking beast. <laughs> uh, trying to think, yeah, I mean, those are my hardest rounds for sure. Um, I have a training partner, Harris Talunzik, who's a welterweight as well. He cornered me in my in my uh, UFC fight. Um, he's a good friend of mine. He's a good. He's a really good round as well. Um, he's one of the best rounds in the gym you're going to get. There's a lot of good guys, man. Neil Magny's a great round as well. Um, and there's guys I'm leaving out. You know, there's a lot of good guys that will be in the UFC soon or that are already in the UFC that I give me great rounds. But, yeah, I'm, I'm at a great gym, man. I'm super happy to, to be able to get to sharpen my iron every day. <laughs> Let's talk about Gaethje Makachev. So I feel like now that he has the BMF, I feel like he's going to get that shot against the lightweight champion. He's just, it's guaranteed now. Now, if he has that rematch with Oliveira, that's an interesting match and we'll have to, we'll have to break that one down. But in the meantime, let's just pretend that Makachev's still holding the belt. Um, I think that Gaethje has the best style right now with how much he's leveled up his game to compete with Makachev over anyone in the division. I think that he is the single hardest style matchup for islam what do you think about that i agree i agree i mean uh justin when he's fighting smart and fighting like you know like using his fight iq that he has is i think the best fighter in the division bar none um but it really comes on you know it comes out to him doing that fight night and uh you know not every fighter has a great night and the first time he fought Islam, you know, he didn't have a, a great night. But I think he's better than the first performance he had. I think he could beat Islam. You know, I truly do. I know what Islam brings to the table. 
And I know what Justin brings to the table, and I feel like Justin has what it takes to beat him for sure. You know, I think he beats him in the rematch. I'm taking Justin. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, don't get me wrong. I totally respect Islam and their camp. Like Khabib Nurmagomedov is one of my favorite all-time fighters. Um, you know, like him and GSP, they're up there. Those are the guys I grew up looking up to. GSP, it was mainly Chocadel, then then GSP, then Khabib, right? And each one of them were at different levels in their career in, in the UFC uh, uh, trajectory. But yeah, I totally respect this camp, and I'm not saying that in a, in a way to dismiss what they bring to the table. Um, Islam looks like he needs to go up weight class. The weight cut looks like it's been affecting him more. I could be wrong. Maybe it's just a bad weight cut I saw last time. But um, as well as like this new age MMA, you can't just lay and pray. You're not going to win a fight by just laying and praying and, and staying on top of them. So in my opinion, yeah, like, okay, could Islam take down Justin maybe throughout the fight and land those strikes and do this and that? Yeah, probably. But I think Justin overall has enough skill to defend his takedowns long enough and land strikes to be able to hurt Islam. Because he, you know, he can, I mean, he can fight. He has good boxing. I think he has the best striking if not, like, the top three best striking in, in lightweight division. Where were you, and what was your reaction when Justin landed that vicious head kick on Dustin? Oh, man, I was at uh, a couple. I was at a friend's house that we trained with, uh, my buddy Ty Flores, and uh, we were there with a bunch of like, teammates watching. And, yeah, I was going nuts. <laughs> like, everyone was just like, <laughs> like, what? <laughs> like, in a good way, you know? You're like, I'm ha- like, you're just happy. You get so happy, you're happy for him, you know? But yeah, I was uh, at a friend's house watching, and uh, I just remember being like in shock, super happy for him, and, and knowing that I knew that he had what it takes to beat Dustin, and he went and did it. So I know he has what it takes to beat Islam, just about going out there and doing it. So and I know he has what it takes to do that. So I'm excited to see it happen. <laughs> I'm going to ask you, yeah, definitely. I'm going to ask you an interesting question. The fight hasn't even been booked yet, but it's in the welterweight division. Let's talk about Colby versus Leon Edwards. What's your prediction there? Who wins? It hasn't been booked yet? I thought, what's going on with nah. that? Do you know your, your report? What's going on with Leon? Well, why is he not? So so I would say that Leon and Colby are very inactive fighters. I've got in my notes here that every single fighter in the welterweight division currently in the top 10, not a single one has a fight booked, right? So they've got oh, some sure. interest. Yeah, they've got some interesting game planning that they're doing most likely in the marketing because here's the thing. They don't want Bilal to have the belt. Gilbert just on his shoulders. Um, Shavkat, uh, they asked all of welterweight and all of middleweight to fight him, and everybody declined that fight except Kelvin, who went down to welterweight and then got his nose broken. So Shavkat doesn't have Everyone's an opponent. Everyone said no to Shavkat? How? I, I believe so, because here's the thing, right? Shavkat trains at Stanford, Stanford or, sorry, Kilcliffe, Kilcliffe. And Kilcliffe had Kamaru, who's his teammate, who has Gilbert, who is his teammate, uh, who has Ian Gary as a teammate, so they can't book those fights. Uh, yeah. And then they went up to middleweight, and Kelvin actually came down to fight him. And then when he got injured, then he's been out for forever. And Shavkat wants to fight like every two, three months. So there's that. Apart from that, all the other people in the division, Colby fights like once a year or like once every two years. He's a very inactive fighter. And if you look at Leon's career trajectory, he fights like once a year too. So, Shavka, they tried to do Shavka and Bilal, and Bilal said, no, I'm fighting next for the title because <laughs> he doesn't want to lose to Shavka. Wait, did, wait uh, I, I, don't, I don't recall uh, that happening. What did you just say? No, I said, what, did they offer Shavka 
So they offered Shavkat to Bilal, and Bilal probably said, no, he wants to wait for his turn at the title. Most likely, because why the fuck would you want to fight Shavkat? And that's what I've actually got in my question here. Exactly, I've got this... I've got this in my question, Basil. I've written, would you fight Shavkat Rachmanov? And if so, how would it go? That's my next question. Oh, fuck yeah. I would love to fight Shavkat. Um, I think he's a beast, and I think he's really good on the ground. He's really good striking. I think I could nullify. Uh, I'm a black belt as well, and I think I'm a very high-level black belt. Every black belt will say that, but I don't really care. I still believe it. Um, and so I believe I can nullify a lot of his game. And uh, it would be getting inside his range and his reach, things like that, you know? But... But still, sorry to interrupt. Wouldn't you, wouldn't, wouldn't you say that he's striking superior to yours, though? Like, like taking an unbiased uh, no, look at it. No, I don't think he's striking is superior to mine. I think he's very long for the division, and he uses his reach very well. But I don't think his striking is superior to mine. No, you're not. What about even like the kicking game? No, I don't feel like I'm he's superior to me anywhere. I'm gonna say that I don't care. Like it might not be a fan, <laughs> a fan favorite opinion, but. Like, I think he's a great fighter. I think I'm also a great fighter. And I would love to fight another great fighter. At the end of the day, we want to get paid, right? So, like, I want to get paid for these fights. But if I'm getting paid, psh, I don't give a fuck, man. I'll fight any one of these dudes. Like, I don't really, it's not, like, especially at the top there. Like, I don't know, dude. So I see it as, like, and it's kind of like, I guess Corey Sanhagen kind of talked about it a little bit. It's kind of his mentality. Like, if you're scared to fight one guy, or maybe I forget who I got it from. I thought it was Corey, but if you're scared to fight one guy, you're, you're going to have to fight him eventually. If you want to be the best in the fucking division, like you're going to have to fight this dude eventually. So, you know, he's going to be there at one point for you to fight. And you, you can't say no. So, I don't know. If I, if I, I would love to fight Shavkat, I would love to also fight for the title. And I know it's a weird battle with a lot of those guys. They don't want to fight Shavkat because they feel like they can lose. Well, I mean, that's the sport we're in. Sometimes you lose, man. There's better guys than you that night, you know? Jack was apparently better than me that night. I don't care. I still believe I could beat him nine out of ten times. So if I go in there and I lose to Shavkat, I'm going to say the same exact thing. I could beat him nine out of ten times. But <laughs> I don't give a shit. Like, I think I could beat Shavkat. I think I have what it takes to beat him. Um, that's my opinion. Personally, I would love to see that fight. I'm not I'm not saying that you're right or wrong. I'm, I just want to see these fights take place. So. Oh, I think... A lot of guys, they get like, okay, so he has a good name and he's tough, right? And he has that rush, carries that, uh, he's from Kazakhstan, I think, right? Kazakhstan. No. Kazakhstan? Okay. He's from Kazakhstan. And like, so he has that, that carries that Eastern European aura. But it's like, dude, I don't, and if you never, I guess if some guys never train with Eastern European guys, they get scared. But like, I don't care, man. I don't fear, I fear no man. I fear no man. We're all built the same. We all bleed. We all can die. Um, and so, like, I want to go in there. If I go in there and he knocks me out in the first round, I just found something else. I just found something out about myself. That's it. But I don't think that's gonna happen. Same way I didn't. I said that JDM's not knocking me out in the first round. Like I'm a fucking man of my word, bro. I think I'm tougher than people give me credit for. So that's my mentality. But like, look, I'm not saying that he's a bum. People go, oh, you think you could beat him? You did that? No. Like he's he's up there for a reason. He's a great fighter. I think I'm also a great fighter, and I don't mind fighting great fighters. That's what we're in the UFC. We're, you better be ready to fight a great fighter every time. And if you don't want to, then you got bitch in you, and that's fine. But just know that. <laughs> like, I root for real. Just admit know. it. Like, when the local is different, like, I wouldn't fight Shafkat in the local because I'm not fighting him for $1,000. <laughs> and he's not probably going to fight me for $1,000. But I will fight him in the UFC. Fuck yeah. Why wouldn't I? I don't know. That's where I'm at. I mean, I'm, I'm, I want to be here for a reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
My next question for you is about Coach Ricardo. What impact has he had on your jiu-jitsu proficiency? Would you say he had the biggest impact? Yes, 100%. Um, I think Ricardo Meglaris is, his nickname is the animal for a reason. Like, if someone doesn't think that, then go roll with him one time. So, like, he's a beast, man. He's the reason I am the, he's the reason I am the man I am today, him and Andy Russell. Are the, are the reason I am the man I am today. And Ricardo is the reason I'm a good grappler. And he's the reason I'm a true black belt and I'm the level black belt I am. Everything, even in the whatever small glimpse you got from my ground game in the JDM fight with passes and understanding this and that, all from Ricky. You know, I came up under him my whole career. And uh, I got lucky to train here with uh, Steve Hordinski, who is also, he was under Helson at first and now he's under uh, Kaiki, which is under Hickson Gracie. And so, and there's a similar lineage, you know which is hard to find uh, out here. It's a lot of sport jiu-jitsu. So, like, yeah, I lucked out, man. I definitely wish I still had Ricardo with me because he's, like, my brother and my mentor. But, yeah, I owe, I owe everything I have in terms of uh, knowledge of jiu-jitsu and, and, and everything I'm at right now and what I'm doing is because of Ricardo Miglaris and Andy Russell, for sure. <laughs> Who's your favorite Ninja Turtle? We I'm ask real questions on this show. We, re we ask real motherfucking questions on this show, man. Probably Raphael, man. I haven't watched Ninja Turtles in so long. You got me thinking about it. Probably Raphael. Uh, yeah, I would say Raphael. Which one is he again? He has the... Remind me. I don't the scythe. He has the scythes and the he's the red one. All right. Let me do this. Because I, I know it's embarrassing. I should know them all. The top of my head, which one has. But now I'm going to look it up. And I'm going to give you a better answer. <laughs> sure, go for it. Because I think you dressed up as Leonardo. You found an old picture? Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right, here we go. Here we go. Here's the list of them. We All do right, research so, on this show. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, dude, you did do research. You got me. You got me slipping. <laughs> so there's what? Leonardo, there's Donatello, Raphael, Michelangelo, and Leonardo, right? What was the hardest fight of your career? Would you say it's the JDM one or is it some random, um, like, undercard, um, like, random regional show where it was a war? Hardest fight of my career was Evan Cutts the first time. Because it was five rounds, I was not in the right shape. And uh, he, that dude had a gas tank. He was ready to go all five rounds. And uh, he got stronger as the rounds went on. So... That was definitely the toughest fight in terms of like, so I've never been so tired where I'm seeing double, like you see two of whatever you're looking at. I thought that was something people just said. And uh, that was the first time I ever saw a double, like going into the fifth round, the referee's like, fight, are you ready? Fight, are you ready? And I look at the, I look at the ref to answer him and I'm just looking at, I'm seeing two of them. <laughs> so that's number one. Number two, I would say probably, yeah, I will say JDM fight. Because of how bad the weight cut was and, you know, not really being in proper shape as well. So those are the toughest fights I've had as ones I haven't been ready for, <laughs> really. Or made the right decisions in. Yeah. What attributes contribute to the fact that people cannot get a dis definitive or decisive finish against you, either that being a submission or a knockout? You've never been finished in your career. Why can't people beat you via finish? Um, I believe I have a really strong will and really strong heart, man. I think I'm tougher than most guys in, in, in the sport, to be honest. Um, yeah, I think that makes a huge difference, man. Part of me, part of my brain is like that too. Like I look at like, if you're someone that gets finished, like you give up, 
is my thing. Like, obviously getting knocked out cold is a whole different story. Like, it's a whole different realm. You can't control that. But I believe I have a tough chin. You know, I'm one of the best boxers in the division. Hit me with some of the cleanest shots that he's hit people with, and I still stood there. And I'm a black belt on the ground. You know, I don't believe in... I don't know. Some people I feel like make a lot of mental errors and I've gotten in so many fights and I've competed a lot. So I don't know. I don't feel like I make those mistakes a lot. Um, but yeah, I, I just feel like I'm tough, man. I'm really, I'm, I feel like I'm tougher than most. You can watch my, if anyone's watching this, go watch my Evan Cuts fight and tell me how many fighters would have gave up at the fourth or fifth round or third round, any one of that point in that fight. When, when Evan had me in a deeper naked choke, had me in a deep this, deep that, and my head looks like it's about to pop off and I'm still fighting out of it. So... Yeah, I believe that's having the strong will and the heart is one part of it. Some guys get in there and they don't care. They just tap. They don't have the the embarrassment of like, I got finished. And so for me, I always have that. I never took the smartest fights, which is why my record isn't the cleanest, which I didn't think of was the thing <laughs> coming up. Some guys did in my same regional scene. I'm not going to say who, but they picked their fights and would say no to me. But um, yeah, no, I think uh, regardless... Regardless of who I'm fighting, if it's, if it's the guy who has the belt right now or someone coming in, um, I'm going to put on a tough fight. I'm not going to give up. You're never going to see me tap. I'm just going to go out before I tap. That's a fact. you got to be ready to put me out cold. Yeah. And, I, and I, I'm the kind of guy in jiu-jitsu on top of that when I'm rolling. This is a big thing. So I'm going to say this, why I think it's so much harder to finish. The, on, the, on the feet, I mean, look, I think I'm hard to knock out. I think I've shown that. So it's going to take a certain kind of strike to knock me out and the right kind of – Combos and stuff. It's going to take like a knee or something to your jaw. Even that, I don't know. He hit me with a couple of knees to the jaw, or hit me. I think he hit me clean. I've been hit pretty clean, man, by some savages. Sean Strickland, you know, guys that have come and train with me, they haven't dropped me. So, <laughs> I think I said something to my a testament to my chin. I got a fucking good Egyptian chin, <laughs> but uh, or Syrian Egyptian chin. But no, I mean, I definitely think. I definitely think uh, the reason why I'm hard to submit, um, and I've been calling some deep submissions, mainly Evan Cuts, he caught me in it. They're very deep submissions the first time I fought him, is because when you train jiu-jitsu, when you're training and you're rolling, a lot of people, they'll tap right away. And I see it all the time. I get frustrated with guys. And they'll kind of, if they, if they hear this and they like, know me, they'll know, yeah, Basil, they get pissed if you tap right away. Because <laughs> it's like, you got to practice Getting, like, you can't just, the second there's any danger, you just give up. You have to get used to, okay, this is what it feels like in the process of getting choked out. Okay, so I have this much rope, you know. You never know how much rope you have unless you pull it. These guys, a lot of guys don't pull it, don't pull the rope. They just, the second you have them, or in a position where it feels like it's uncomfortable, they'll tap. I'm going to say a perfect example, and I'll say it to his face. And anyone who trains jiu-jitsu knows when that Cyril Gaon fight happened with John Jones, dude, he tapped way too early. I'm sorry. And if it was a crank, you could have got up. You could have pushed up to get out of the crank. You tapped way too early. So that means in your training, you're tapping way too early. You know? Like, you, you shouldn't be tapping that early if you're a competitor. You're, you're an average Joe and you're going to compete for fun. Be smart. Don't get hurt. Make sure you can go in the next day. You're not competing in this trying to be a savage. But fighters, yo, we need to stop tapping so early. All fighters, man. Especially in a championship fight. Just in general, get choked the fuck out. And there's no human. There's nothing embarrassing. I think it should be. It's more embarrassing to give to tap than to get choked the fuck out. Get choked the fuck out. Like it's not a big deal. It's humbling. And the more you do it in training, the more you're gonna realize where your limit is and know. Oh shit, I have a little more in the, in the tank. I have a little bit more to get out. There's times in fights where, like, 
I was, it was the blood flow is going so fast in my head and they're squeezing and I'm fighting and my heart rate's going so fast that I could almost pass out from just that, right? But I don't. I, I stay coherent. I stay like thinking about what I'm going to do and I get the fuck out of there. So like that comes from, yeah, that comes from training. Training, getting caught in deep submissions, not tapping right away, fighting through it a little bit, see how your rope is and then next thing you know, you're not getting submitted on it at all. Like it's hard to submit you. And you'll notice that in your training and your, and then boom, in the, in the cage, it's hard to submit you. Same exact thing. So I think it all ties in in that way. I'm going to validate what you're saying by the fact that Volkanovski with Craig Jones, all he does is sit in the submission already. He starts from getting caught in the submission and tries to work his way out of it. And as you can see, every sub that someone's even remotely got on Volk, has not worked at all, no matter how deep it is. He doesn't. He doesn't quit, and he hasn't been submitted once in his whole career. Yeah, I agree. I, I, mean, I, think, I, I got a lot of respect for Volkanovski. I think he's a beast. Um, and uh, yeah, I like. I love watching him fight because he's he's that he's got that that mentality that like he's him, you know. <laughs> and so yeah, I love that, you know. But yeah, he's training with Craig Jones, he's training with one of the best grapplers in the world. And I seen some of his sessions. Like that's a big thing, man. Positional sparring, positional stuff, like. In general, yeah, I think it all has an effect, you know, and you see it, you see it on paper, you see it when it happens in fights, like guys don't tap right away, there's a reason, now, a lot of people don't know that, and I'm telling you, that's the reason, is guys are not training either enough jiu-jitsu, or they're not training enough in deep submissions and getting submitted enough in training, like, in my opinion, I don't ever really get submitted now in training, and it's not because I don't want to get submitted, I would fucking love, choke me the fuck out, like, catch me, catch me, so I can get better, you know, and it it took me getting to this point by getting submitted a lot, getting caught, getting and then but not getting caught and just going, eh, whatever, like that's ego. No, getting caught and saying, okay, how the fuck did that just happen? How do I fix that? Okay, let's go back again, put me back in that same spot. Like that's that's how you fix all that. And it's like a lot of people don't do that. And so it takes all that to get to the point of like, okay, now I'll put myself in bad positions and I just won't get submitted. You can take my back, you can sit there on my back, you're not choking me out the whole round, you know. And then there's some guys that do get me there. Like, they, they take my back, and it's like, okay, now I know that this is their strength. Okay, but now I know I made these mistakes. I'm a black belt. There's no excuse. Okay, I can learn the mistake I made, and now I just fix it. So, like, that doing that work is how you get become better and not get submitted, become unfinishable in the fight, in my opinion, <laughs> really. If you got a chin and you're hard to knock out, you better be working on that submission defense, bro. <laughs> I want to ask you about the factors that contributed to your split decision losses and your split draw. So would you say there was any mental barriers during this fight or, or fights, or would you say that each fight's a coin flip and, you know, you took on hard opponents? No, I mean, I definitely think I took on hard opponents, um, but I don't think, uh, I don't think it's a coin flip. No, I think uh, each, look, each, each situation wasn't ideal or wasn't, there's a reason for each one, right? I think early in my career, um, you can watch those fights. Like, uh, I don't care. I have nothing to hide. You can go back and watch those fights. I just wasn't busy enough. And it, it was the mental thing for me. It was the going out and performing, but also, like, dude, have just have fun. Fight and be comfortable out there. And you'll learn and get better. And so early in my career, I didn't really – I think I should have stayed amateur longer than I did. And so early in my career, I didn't really, like, have the fight IQ and the ability to go out there and perform like I was supposed to, right? And uh, I think I showed, if you watch my split decision losses, there's one split decision loss that's on there that 
shouldn't be on there, and that's topology just doesn't care, kind of like F you to me. Um, it's good. Richard Williams. Um, I basically beat the shit out of a guy for three rounds straight, cut him open. He didn't do a single thing to me. I don't think he landed a strike, to be honest. Um, and they gave it split decision to him in Aruba. And Aruba went 10 0 that night. And uh, it was a whole thing. Like, I had a whole ordeal with them. And the other thing was that it was unsanctioned. They didn't follow the unified rules. It was an unofficial fight. And someone from Aruba who, like, handles MMA or no, handles their MMA reporting reported to their topology person that they know, like, yeah, this fight's official. And it happened at this weight. Or they made up shit because it happened at middleweight and they have it happening at welterweight. The guy I fought had, like, 15, 20 fights and they have him at 1 0. It's like, uh, it's not, and it wasn't even an official fight. I even had, I had situations where I had like people that were stand-in officials from, from, I think it was Iowa Athletic Commission. Like the company that I fought for had people fly in to make it seem like it was this and that. And even they emailed Tapology and were like, yo, this wasn't a unified fight. They didn't follow the rules. Uh, it wasn't official. And still Tapology is like, nope, we're keeping it on there. We're not even changing it. We're not putting it on sanction. We're keeping it the way. Like, someone at Topology has a dick up their ass and doesn't like me. I'm just going to say, I don't care at this point because I try to be cool and nice about it. But, yo, whoever you are at Topology, you're a pussy, bro, because I was super respectful and you were an asshole and didn't give a fuck. And it's like, I'm still going to make you <laughs> doing it. You're a bitch for hiding behind the screen and doing that shit. Sorry. <laughs> I had to say that. I don't like, nah, because really, I don't like when people act like, like act like Two-Face and act fake like that. And it's like, to me, I emailed them very respectfully and was super like, and I had my management people and they just like, whoever responded was just like, nah, nope, don't care. Nope, don't care. Nope, don't, like same exact thing. Even no matter how much reasoning I gave, I was like, all right, whatever. Like, it's supposed to be an unsanctioned fight. It's on my record. It doesn't mean shit. I'm still going to kill it. I'm still going to be a good fighter. <laughs> but you probably so, to that out there too. <laughs> every but, single time you, know, every, you, you can tell him I said fuck you sorry go ahead <laughs> but still every single time I have I watch so many interviews right I see these yeah. fighters jump on people's shows and they're tame they say they say nothing they say no, like no trash talk they're respectful every single time people come on my show they, they have like a venting session where they're like attacking people it's fucked like am, am I just am I just a comfortable person that you can just say like that fuck this guy like what's going on you're asking the right you ask the right questions that's what it is because the questions you ask need explanation and then when there's someone when it's a situation that you're not happy with the way it is or whatever it is you have to explain yourself so it'd be weird if i'm sitting here on on camera and like you're asking me questions and i'm like yes no that's it and it's like like no offense that's happened to me before and i hated it well, you have to, you have to, you have to be relatable for people, man. Like, you can't just have an ego. Like, no offense, I think Kamar Usman is an example of this. Like, I even got asked by people recently, like casuals, like, dude, why this and that? I'm like, dude, he's a nice dude. He's a good dude. Like, he's not a bad person. He's a great father. I think people just don't like him, and they don't know why. They say they'll make up reasonings why they don't like him, but in reality, it's because he doesn't tell you anything. He doesn't give you an, an insight into his life, really, in, his, in the way that you want to hear, or he doesn't do this and that. So that's why people just don't they like talk shit. They'll say he's this and that, he's that. But in reality, he hasn't really put anything bad out. He never really has done anything bad. So for me, it's like, I know I can't just go yes or no, and I know that I have to, you know, you get to give some explanations so people have context and they know why things are the way they are, if that makes sense. Basil, I want to ask you about you winning the Fury FC title. Would you say that 
you're happy at winning the belt and getting the accomplishment or was the feeling better that you um you you were what's the word i'm looking for you were more relieved that you didn't lose what do you think was the more powerful emotion oh man that's a good question i've not been asked that i think the more powerful emotion for me is like the the so for me it's a everything carries weight some things don't carry much weight it's the weight of a feather and some things the weight is unbearable and uh that i think is what makes things mean more or mean less a lot of times in this situation i lost to cuts two years before on a split decision on the CFFC welterweight championship. And I lost that fight. I didn't get signed and it delayed me getting signed. And I went through a really broke period, uh, and a non-enjoyable period, depressive period. And, uh, you know, I came out strong on the other side and I came out with a fucking story. And so when I knocked him out cold and it was like, he was unconscious on the mat. It was like a, it was like a, a, a true happiness of like, man, I finally fucking did what I told myself I could do, you know, I knew I could do this to this guy. I know I could do this to someone. And it was like, just a, a moment of, of finally like confidence and happiness in myself, I would say because of the weight of everything. Like I said, I explained like beating him. And it's like, I, I corrected that wrong. You know, I showed that I lost to him that night. It was because I lost to him. He didn't beat me, you know? And, uh, it happening the way it did. People saying I can't knock people out. And I knocked him out cold, you know? Worse than he's never been knocked out before. He's been TKO, but he's never been knocked out cold. So it was like a lot of things kind of, the weight of a lot of things added up into that moment. And that's why it meant so much. Fighting for Eric Garcia is cool and Fury is a good company. Um, but I really don't, I mean, I'm not going to lie. If someone was like, yo, this benefit if you scrap the belt. I'm like, yeah, I'll scrap the belt. I don't care. But the reason I'll keep it is to give it to my kids one day, to have it in my gym one day, you know, <laughs> shit like that. But yeah, the the belt doesn't mean as much for me. It's more everything that it means and everything that happened in that process of, of uh, accomplishing that. That's what meant the most. Yeah, beating beating someone that I lose to for me means a lot. Like that that's a lot to me. Uh, I think about that more than anything. Like I know I have my losses, but I know all four of those guys in the back of my head, and I think about those fights, and I think about what they did, and then you know that shit weighs on me. So yeah, I, I think. The weight of the meaning of each of each thing matter matters more than weighing the belt itself. Like same thing with same thing when I submitted Christian Savoie. He's a beast. Um, I know he hasn't made to UFC yet. He was he was a tough fighter. I know it was a quick fight. He had last in the first round, but he hit hard. He kicked hard for the times he did, and he was strong as hell. Um, but when I when I submitted him and I collapsed in the center of that cage and I'm like head down to the ground. It's it's not oh the belt you know for me it's oh man like I never thought I'd be a CFFC welterweight champion you know I know I was brought in here to to for this guy to pad his record and get to the UFC um, and that's and that and they were gonna sign him based off of if he beat me or not not me based off if I beat him and uh, I just had the car accident I had the car accident where I was out for a little bit where I had knee surgery back to back near years of I think it was a total of three knee surgeries so I had a lot of shit happening right before I got that opportunity and so yeah like winning that like same thing the weight of everything was was really what made it more than anything like you know meaning that's and that's what everything man I think uh with anything we do the deeper meaning is more important than the material object and if it's for you it's the material object then maybe do some more soul searching and figure out why that material object means so much to you like 
The belt means so much because of A, B, and C. And that's the only reason why this has so much meaning. It's my opinion. Who gave you the nickname The Habibi? I know your family called you it, but why? I actually gave myself the nickname The Habibi. <laughs> I swear to God, I gave myself the nickname. They were like, what's your nickname? I said The Habibi. That's it. No, like, uh, I think, so I speak Arabic and my family speaks Arabic and we just say like Habibi is something you just say like buddy, bro, like in English we say. So it's something that just like people, we talk to each other, we call each other Habibi and I'm the kind of person I'm always giving love. I always want to show love to the people around me, like to people that are cool and close to me. Like I'm not the kind of person where I'm trying to fight. Like we're always, if me and my cousins are hanging out, it's all love. It's like, yo, you hungry? What can I get for you? You got this. That's just the, the, the cultural thing, right? And so we always call each other Habibi. And it's just like something we just, I did my whole life growing up. It's just a word to me. And uh, a lot of people don't really know Islam or Arabic culture um, and Arabic language in general. And so like, I would mix in Habibi in just random conversation. I teach my friends what Habibi means. Uh, my friends would then call me the Habibi or call me, just say Habibi. Yo, Habibi. Like, just like that. And so, I think one time, it was like, I don't know, I forget what made it, like, stick a little more. And then I was like, you know what? I was like, I want to get a, uh, I have a Volkswagen. I was like, I want to get a Euro plate. So, I got a Euro plate on the front of it. It says, The Habibi. And I came up with that literally on the spot of, like, I'm The Habibi or whatever. The car is The Habibi. But what it's like, you know, instead of the, instead of just Habibi, because it was going to look weird just saying Habibi. So, I put The Habibi because it kind of stands out. more. People read it and go the Habibi. And so that was my license plate when I came to Colorado. And now everyone's calling me the Habibi out here because they either call me Habibi because they know I'm Middle Eastern or they just call me the Habibi because of the license plate. And uh, it just like stuck around like that. And then I think I never had a nickname. I got to the UFC. I'm like, I gotta have a fucking nickname. (laughs) So the Habibi, I came up with it in terms of based off everyone around me coming up with it. What was the first fight you ever watched? Can you recall? Oh, man. The first fight, I think. Yeah. The first fight that I think I ever saw, like, where it's in my memory. Uh, okay. So, I don't know. I see knockouts. I would see Chuck Liddell's knockouts as a kid. Like, that's, uh, you know, when he would knock, we knocked out Tia Ortiz. Um, like, you know, all the, all the classic Chuck Liddell fights. Yeah. But the first time I remember seeing it, like, and like watching it on TV, I think, cause I would just see it online before, um, was Clay Guida versus Roger Huerta. I think that's what it was. Did they fight? I'm pretty sure that was it. And it was Clay Guida versus someone. I think it was him and Roger Huerta. That was back in like Spike TV days. That was the first time I remember, like, I think I was in high school. I was at a friend's house. I was actually at an ex-girlfriend's house. Uh, or an ex-girlfriend's friend's house and it was like us and like a friend of mine so it was all four of us and I remember it popped on the TV and I was like yo leave that <laughs> and I just like sat and watched it and I was like oh wait and that's when I figured out like oh yeah I used to watch Chuck Odell knockouts on YouTube and then it's like oh this is the UFC on Spike so yeah that's the first fight I ever watched <laughs> when did you first become affiliated with Coach Hordinski when did you meet him I met Coach Steve Ordinsky, when I uh, I came out to Colorado, so when I first came out to uh, Denver, I moved here for Factory X, actually. Um, and then when I was at Factory X, um, I ended up having an injury and needing surgery, and there was a little falling out. I ended up uh, leaving the gym. And when I left the gym, I kind of was figuring out my coaches here and if I was going to stay in Colorado. I ended up meeting Justin Houghton first, actually, at Pound for Pound. 
Um, he coaches, he's one of Muhammad Usman's striking coaches. He coaches with Cal Pennington, teaches Torres. Um, there's a lot of guys that he's, he's a world-class striking coach. I met him and, um, then he actually, I was at his gym one time early for, for a session and, uh, a buddy of mine, Raymond Bunker was there with Steve. They both came together and Steve or Raymond introduced us kind of, and then me and Steve just hit it off, started talking about jujitsu. I told him I was a black belt. And I told him under who, and then he ended up finding out he knew my coach from, like, way back. They came up together, and, you know, 10 minutes into us talking in first meeting, we are like, on the ground rolling and looking at techniques together. So I remember it was, like, yeah, it was, it was like, love at first sight. We hit it off right away. <laughs> but it was probably about eight months ago, nine months ago, I think, when I made the switch to Elevation Fight Team. I met him, like, shortly after. That's all we have time for, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much, Basil, for coming on the show. Is there anything you want to plug before we wrap up the podcast? Yes, my sponsors. Uh, make sure you go on millions.co and you get this shirt. My sponsors, again, More Homes Colorado, Michael Osborne, Dependable Solutions, Technic Air Mechanical, Sheath Underwear, Delco Steaks, Best Cheese Steaks in Philly, My Fit Foods, Yakitori Boy, Karaoke Bar, Huda PHL, JB Health Associates, PA Pain and Rehab, Blade and Badger Barbershop, and Place of Peace. These are the shirts. Get your ass on there. Get some merch. Help us make a breast cancer donation. Follow Basil on Instagram. Link in the description. And follow Anything Combat on Spotify. Thanks, guys. Bye.